As I was digging into Job this week, I was actually thinking of children. Um, maybe there's, I don't know, maybe we have a kid in here. About, kids about three to five years old, sometimes they want to help mom or dad. You know that experience, moms and dads, when your kids want to help? Maybe you're baking or cooking in the kitchen, and they want to they bake cookies with you. Or maybe, um, like, uh, you know, sometimes I'm puttering around in the garage, and when my kids were younger, Dad, can I help? Dad, can I help? And they'd come, and they'd uh, work with me painting something or maybe making something, whatever it is that I was doing or what Kristen was doing. They wanted to help. But here's the thing. Three- to five-year-olds really aren't good at stuff, at least not that much. I mean, oftentimes if a three- to five-year-old helps you in the kitchen, you know what that means? you got to clean the kitchen really well after it's all said and done. And maybe those cookies are special cookies that you save for sometimes special because maybe they're not the best cookies that you've ever made. Sometimes it, sometimes it works out. Sometimes it's great. But a lot of times kids have to learn, right? they got to learn sometime, and they learn by doing, and so us to help them, that's a good thing for us to do, and expect along the way that they're going to make some mistakes. So we dig into our passage this morning. As we begin our passage especially, we find out, and we're reminded of the fact that basically when it comes to following Jesus and obeying God in all that it is that we do, we're about like three to five-year-olds trying to help mom cook or help mom or dad fix something. We're not very good at it sometimes. In fact, a lot of times. Pretty broken when it comes to, quote-unquote, being perfect. We can't be perfect. In fact, our perfection is enough that we have to wonder, along with the writer that we read this morning, along with the words we read this morning, what benefit does it do us to be righteous? Because we can't do it right we can't get it right. Why is it that we're called to do it? That's going to be some of what we explore this morning as we dig into God's Word. I ask uh, that you join me in prayer as we uh, dig in this morning that God might be blessed and he might be a blessing to us and encouragement to us as we learn more about how to follow him. Father, be present. I ask, Lord, that you, you be present. I disappear. Your voice is the one who speaks. You speak to our minds, our hearts, Speak to our reality, our challenges. You speak to whatever it is, Lord, that we need today. That in um, what you tell us, that we can be encouraged to walk with you, live in relationship with you, love you, serve you, grow in our understanding of what it means that you are present in our world, present in our lives. Pray, Father, that... um, You will bless us as we live into a world that um, has so many challenges. In a week, unlike we've seen in this country for a very long time, Lord, we ask that you be present in our world. Bring peace. Bring understanding. Grow your love. Equip us through the leadership of uh, this country to live more deeply in relationship with you. Lord, that's complex and that's hard and we don't know how that is all supposed to look right now. But we can trust you because it's your country. This is your world. You created it. You create all of it. You are present in all of it. May we trust in you. Equip us to that end to um, 
and just be faithful in seeking you out and how you are leading us. Father, in your word today, may we be encouraged, may we be challenged, may we be transformed. That's work that you and you alone can do. We ask that you do it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, in your scriptures to Job chapter 22. We're going to begin by reading that entire chapter. It's a speech from Eliphaz. We've heard from Eliphaz before in the book of Job. He's one of Job's friends, and he gives a similar message to what we've heard um, in the past from Job's friends, but he um, starts it with some pretty profound questions that I want to explore along with you this morning a little bit. Then Eliphaz the Tamanite, Temanite replied, Can a man be of benefit to God? Can even a wise person benefit him? What pleasure would it give the Almighty if you were righteous? What would he gain if your ways were blameless? Is it for your piety that he rebukes you, brings charges against you? Is not your wickedness great? Are not your sins endless? You demanded security from your relatives for no reason. You stripped people of their clothing, leaving them naked. You gave no water to the weary, and you withheld food from the hungry. Though you were a powerful man owning land, an honored man living on it, and you sent widows away empty-handed and broke the strength of the fatherless. That is why snares are all around you. Why sudden perils terrify you. Why is Why it is so dark you cannot see and why a flood of water covers you. Is not God in the heights of heaven? See how lofty are the highest stars, and yet you say, what does God know? Does he judge through such darkness? Thick clouds veil him, so he does not see us as he goes about in the vaulted heavens. Will you keep to the old path that the wicked have trod? They were carried off before their time. Their foundations washed away by a flood. They said to God, leave us alone. What can the Almighty do to us? Yet it was he who filled their houses with good things. So I stand aloof from the plans of the wicked. The righteous see their ruin and rejoice. The innocent mock them, saying, Surely our foes are destroyed. Fire devours their wealth. Submit to God. Be at peace with him. In this way, prosperity will come to you. Accept instruction from his mouth. Lay up his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. If you remove wickedness far from your tent and assign your nuggets to the dust, your gold of Ophir to the rocks and the ravines, then the Almighty will be your gold, the choicest silver for you. Surely then you will find delight in the Almighty and will lift up your face to God. You will pray to him and he will hear you and you will fulfill your vows. What you decide on will be done. Light will shine on your ways. When people are brought low, you say, lift them up. Then he will save the downcast. He will deliver even one who is not innocent, who will, who will be delivered through the cleanness of your hands. One of the challenges that we've gone through the book of Job is that when Job's friends talk, some of the stuff that they say seems really good, right? I mean, let's, let's look at the questions that Eliphaz begins with. Can a man be of benefit to God? Can even a wise person benefit him? What pleasure would it give the Almighty if you were righteous? What would he gain if your ways were blameless? I mean, thinking about that, it, it seems right what he's saying. Because, friends, we are three to five-year-olds when it comes to what we bless God with. We're not very good at it. God created everything. He created the universe. He created all things. What do I have to offer God? 
It's a good question. I think it's a valid question. He's, he's bringing out ideas and questions that I think many of us do have. If I am perfect, does it really benefit and bless God? And then he goes on to say, he says, um, guess what? Being wicked has consequence. Well, we think that's right, don't we? It makes sense. Being wicked does have consequence. And righteous, righteous people, when they look at that, they say, yeah, that's what happens when you're wicked. That's really what he's saying here. The only problem is, is that he's attributing wickedness to Job. He's saying to Job, Job, this actually is you. You're the one who's doing these things. In fact, he's even indicting him for things that he didn't do. If we look at verses 4 through 9, um, we see the things that he says. He says, you stripped people of their clothing, leaving them naked. You gave no water to the weary. You withheld food from the hungry. Though you were a powerful owner, a man owning land, an honored man living in it. He gives these indictments. He charges Job with not caring about the people around him. And we don't know that any of that has happened. In fact, it seems from chapter 1 and 2 of Job that Job has been righteous, right? In fact, so much so that when Satan comes into God's presence, God says, have you seen my servant Job? He's a pretty great guy. So it seems like the problem that we have here is that Eliphaz is charging Job with stuff that is not true. Again, that's the problem, and it's one of those problems that has recurred over and over and over again. So Job's been indicted. He's been charged yet again. How does he respond to it? That's chapter 23. Even today my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. If only I knew where to find him. If only I could go to his dwelling state my case before him, fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say to me. Would he vigorously oppose me? No. He would not press charges against me. There the upright can establish their innocence before him. There I would be delivered forever from my judge. But if I go to the east, it's not there. Go to the west, I do not find him. When he's at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, catch no glimpse of him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. My feet have closely followed his steps. I have kept to his way without turning aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than daily bread. But he stands alone. Who can oppose him? does whatever he pleases, carries out his decree against me. Many such plans he still has in store. That is why I am terrified before him. When I think of all this, I fear him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. Yet I'm not silenced by the darkness, by the thick darkness that covers my face. So Job continues to struggle. And here we hear exactly what his struggle is. His struggle is, is that he's been, quote unquote, good. He's been obedient. What does he say? Hear it again. He says this. 
He says, my feet have closely followed his steps. I've kept to his way without turning aside. I've not departed from the commands of his lips. I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. He's saying, I've done it, God. I've been obedient. Where's the payoff? Now, friends, that actually sounds pretty familiar to me. Right? If we say something like, I'm a, like I'm a praying person, right? If I pray, I hope that God answers my prayer. Where, because that's obedience, right? If I'm a person of the word, that God would answer my obedience to being faithful to his word, right? But we struggle when it doesn't happen. How many of you have prayed for peace in our country and an end to some of the political strife that we have in our world? How many of you have prayed that prayer? How long have you been praying it? Months? Perhaps even years? We expect the payoff. Come on, God. If you're in control of all things, why isn't this getting fixed? Many of you have prayed for people to come to faith for a lifetime, and they haven't. Why isn't God active? That's what Job is doing. See, he's saying, I'm being obedient. I know you're there, but you know what? I don't feel you. I can't find you. He even says it in a very familiar way, right? He says, if I go to the east, he's not there. Go to the west. Don't find him. If he's at work in the north, I do not see him when he turns to the south. I catch no glimpse of him. It's interesting, right? Because that does sound familiar, doesn't it? It's echoes of Psalm 139 where, in fact, the psalmist says exactly the opposite. If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I go down to the depths of the ocean, you are there. That person in the Psalms feels God's presence, knows God is real. Job doesn't. Where are you? Anyone feel that way after a week like this? Where are you, God? What is this supposed to be? Whether you pick whatever side it is, it just seems so complex, so messy, so crazy, and who knows how long it might drag on. It just does not seem right. Where are you, God, in all this? But here's something we can learn from Job. Because Job has a characteristic that is unique. None of us have the same characteristic, I'm sure. Job's stubborn. (laughs) How many of you would be called stubborn? How many of your spouses would call you stubborn, right? (laughs) I think he threw his shoulder out, putting his arm up high. Stubbornness. Listen, how do we know Job is stubborn? Here's what he says, verse 17. Yet I am not silenced by darkness, by the thick darkness that covers my face. Job, despite the fact that he doesn't feel God, says, but I'm not going to quit. I don't know any other way, Job is saying. I, I don't want this evil life that has consequence that we all see described by Eliphaz. I don't want that. I don't like my suffering, but I don't know what else there is. So I'm not going to give up on God. I'm not going to be silenced. I'm going to keep posing the questions. I'm going to keep saying the stuff. This week, this weekend actually, 
I see how that sort of works when you don't give up. Um, Kristen is at some soccer stuff with Troy this weekend. I've been on my own since uh, Friday. She gets back later today. On Friday, um, I, uh, because Kristen's gone, I get to choose what I want to eat. Um, so I chose ribs. And I make my ribs in the oven in my house. That's how I like them. I've grilled them before. I like them baked the way that I do them. And uh, so I go into my kitchen. I actually go to Stater's, get ribs, come back, put my brown sugar on, put my Montreal steak seasoning, put the foil in the pan, um, turn the fan to the right setting. I know how long it takes, stick them in the oven, and then I get to enjoy ribs. Here's the thing, though. I always have friends when I make ribs. I have two dogs, Shadow and especially Kobe. Kobe is smarter than I am. And because Kobe is smarter than I am, as soon as I start go through the process of making ribs, Kobe knows what I'm doing. Like literally knows what I'm doing. Kobe looks at me and says, it's rib time. And so at the end, when I get my ribs out of the oven, and the great thing is, is because there's so many ribs, I still have leftovers, I get them to have later, later today. Whenever I get them out of the oven and cut off the ribs and eat them, Kobe knows what's going to happen next. What's going to happen next? What's that? They get a bite. What bite would they probably get? The bones. Dogs like bones. Kobe and Shadow really love bones. But here's what I know. I know that Kobe and Shadow, when it comes to ribs, can have two bones because if they have any more than two bones, it messes with their stomachs and it's not good for them. So when I get done with my four ribs, I take two of the bones, stick them out, throw them on this side for Shadow, throw two ribs on the, this side for Kobe. And my dogs are content for about five minutes because I still have more ribs. And they know I have more ribs because Kobe is smarter than I am. And so you know what happens for the next couple hours? Right by the patio door, I have two innocent, beautiful dogs sitting there going, mm, mm. and then they get really excited and they bark. And I go outside and I say, don't bark. So they don't bark. They just do, mm, mm. And you know what happens if they do that enough? They get a bone. Because I get so sick of it, I give them another bone. Job is not going to be silenced. Because he knows if he's not silenced, if he keeps interacting, if he keeps talking, mm, mm, that there might come an answer. And I need to hear that. Because when I think about the conflict and the challenge in our world, I long for redemption. I long for hope. And I long for something to be transformed and be changed. But it hasn't happened yet. But here's what I don't know. I don't know what step of the process I'm in. Am I on step two of eight and before God transforms this world in the way that I want him to? 
Am I on step six of 21 that God would come and redeem the cultural and the racial and the political conversations? In our, are we on step six of 21? Are we, in some cases, on step four of 846? But are we willing to, at the patio door of God, stand there and say, hmm, Mm. come be present. Come and transform because there's no other way that this can happen. That's where Job is. And that's part of our challenge this morning. Are we in that place too? Can we, like Job, be stubborn in our lack of silence, praying to God, requesting God, asking God, because he asks us to do it, right? Always keep on praying with all kinds of prayers and requests before the Lord. That's obedience. Passage continues, chapter 24, it says this. Why does the Almighty not set times for judgment? Why must those who know him look in vain for such days? There are those who move boundary stones. They pasture flocks. They've stolen. Drive away the orphan's donkey and take away the widow's ox and pledge. They thrust the needy from the path, force all the poor of the land into hiding. Like wild donkeys in the desert, the poor go about their labor of forging food. The wasteland provides food for their children. They gather father in the fields, glean in the vineyards of the wicked. Lacking clothes, they spend the night naked. If nothing to cover themselves in the cold, they are drenched by mountain rains, hug the rocks for lack of shelter. The fatherless child is snatched from the breast. The infant of the poor is seized for a debt, lacking clothes. They go about naked. They carry the sheaves, but still go hungry. They crush olives among the terraces. They tread the wine presses, yet suffer thirst. The groans of the dying rise from the city, and the souls of the wounded cry out for help. But God charges no one with wrongdoing. There are those who rebel against the light, who do not know its ways or stay in its paths. When daylight is gone, the murderer rise up, rises up, kills the poor and the needy, and in the night steals forth like a thief, the eye of the adulterer watches for dusk. He thinks no one will see me and keeps his face concealed. In the dark, thieves break into the houses, but by day they shut themselves in. They want nothing to do with the light. For all of them, midnight is their morning. They make friends with the terrors of darkness, yet they are foam on the surface of the water. Their portion of the land is cursed so that no one goes to the vineyards. As heat and drought snatch away the melted snow, so the grave snatches away those who have sinned. The womb forgets them. The worm feasts on them. The wicked are no longer remembered, but are broken like a tree. They prey on the barren and childless woman, to the widow they show no kindness, but God drags away the mighty by his power. Though they become established, they have no assurance of life. He, life. he may let them rest in a feeling of security, but his eyes are on their ways. For a little while they are exalted, and then they are gone. They are brought low and gathered up like all others. They are cut off like heads of grain. If this is not so, you can prove me false and reduce my words to nothing. Job wants justice. That's, that's his, mm, 
That's his, that's his lack of silence before God. God, come and redeem. He sees evil in the world, and in fact, he even sees the consequence of it. He speaks of that, right? He says these words. He talks about the poor, and he talks about them gleaning in the vineyards of the wicked, the lacking clothes, they spend the night naked. They have nothing to cover themselves in the cold, and they're forgotten, and they're taken advantage of by the wicked. That's why, in part, I think Eliphaz's charges of him don't hold sway, because Job is looking around at the world, and he's seeing the consequence of this because he cares about it. He longs and wants to see things made right, but it's not made right. No matter how good he is, it's not made right because he still is like a three to five-year-old trying to help mom or dad. He can't fix it. And in all that, he doesn't feel God. And if we just leave it there, it's hard after some of these passages of Job to feel a sense of hope, isn't it? A sense of Christ's presence, a sense of encouragement. But praise be to God, we have more than the book of Job. Praise be to God, we have the full story. I encourage you to turn in your Bibles really quickly. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, it says this there. Romans chapter 5, 1 through 8. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace into which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because know that we know that our suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, just the right time when we will, we're still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. As we read this passage, as we hear these words from Romans chapter 5, we're reminded of a couple things that connect us to the passages from Job. First of all, we wonder why we do what we do and what benefit it is to God. It's not benefit to God, it's benefit to us. What does it say there? It says, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering, what, produces Perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. We live in relationship with God, doing what it is that we can do as followers of him, trusting that ultimately the benefit is that we have hope. Give me something to hope for. That hope that encourages us when the times are challenging, when the times are frustrating, when the times are hard. Because that's actually what Job is longing for, right? He doesn't feel God. He, he's longing for hope. But there's this beautiful thing in Romans chapter 5 that I didn't highlight quite enough. I want to read it again. It's the eighth verse. It says this. 
But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All of this happens because of Christ's death. But it's not just that. It's when Christ died for us. Christ died for Scott Elgersma when Scott Elgersma was still a mess. Well, that's still the case, but hopefully I'm a God-present mess now. When I was broken, when I rejected God, and that's the same for all of you, for Patty, for Don, for Cheryl, for Mario, each one of us. If you know Christ, it's because Christ died for you despite the fact that you aren't perfect, despite the fact that you can't fix it, despite the fact that we are continually not getting it right. That's the promise. And the beauty of that promise is when we know it, we, we're not going to feel God all the time. We're not going to have his presence powerfully overwhelming those moments when your heart soars and your hands can do nothing but raise and you can't sing loud enough. We're not going to have those moments. When we remember that Christ did that for us from the very beginning. We are mindful for Job in his reality right now to be mindful that, that God was present in the past and because God was present in the past, he can trust that even though he doesn't feel him now, God will be present in the future. That's our encouragement. That's our encouragement and our hope. So as we continue to think about this book, of Job, what's, what's the theme of the book of Job? What do we call Job? Job is the book of what? Suffering? Is that what we're going to say? I disagree. The more I read the book of Job, I don't think it's about suffering anymore. I think it's a book about Jesus. It is about a man who is struggling with the present reality of life where he doesn't like what he sees in his world, doesn't know how to fix it, doesn't understand what can change his experience now and what his future can be in the future, or what his hope can be in the future. And he's trying to figure out, he's praying, longing, hoping, getting angry before God, saying, in essence, give me Jesus. Because Jesus is the only thing that gives him strength. Jesus is the only thing that can fix it. Job doesn't know it yet. I know he knows it now. Are we people who want that hope? I do. I want the hope of Christ. How do I get it? Hmm. Hmm. What step are we on? Step four of 83? Mm. Mm. Step five? To be perseverant Christians who live and trust that as we are not silenced by the darkness around us, as we are people who are encouraged by God's presence in our past, knowing that he's been there, trusting in the future that he's promised for us and God always keeps his promise, as we live in that reality now, knowing that while we were still a mess, Christ transformed us. Doing this every day. Mm. Mm. 
This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in this day. Let's pray together. You are so good to us. You have been good to us in the past, O God. While we were still sinners, you died for us. You will be good to us in the future because you know the plans that you have for us, plans to prosper us, not harm us, plans for a hope in a future. But you are also present now because this is for us here in this moment and for always. We have you. And because we have you, there is light, there is hope, there is comfort, there is encouragement. If we but remember, Father, help us to remember and then long for more of you. That's only work that you can do, not us, because we're, we're the three to five-year-old in the kitchen. You, in you, we have all that we need. Encourage us through the Spirit to that end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.